Hello and welcome to the Troll Expeditions podcast. We're having an insane stormy day today in Reykjavik. Great to be cozy in a studio on a day like that. Keeping us company is Thorstein, one of my favorite colleagues, multi-day tour guide and fleet manager, as well as a former member of the first Icelandic hip-hop band. Here to tell us all about his music, as well as what's what on our six and eight day tours. Hello, Thorstein. Hello. Now that I think of it, I cannot unnotice that your first name, Thorstein, is also a great hip-hop alias. As most of our listeners don't speak <laughs> Icelandic, it actually means the Stone of Thor. Thor being the god of thunder, that we all know as Chris Hemsworth in The Avengers. But was it really your alias during your rap days? No, it was actually another name. I'm called Stinni. There's a long story behind that. I'm not going into the details, but it's true. Tor would be a pretty good name, but Stinni, Stinson, that would be my rap name. But wouldn't you think that Thor would be a little cooler? Yeah, maybe. But sometimes some people think it's corny also. <laughs> so <laughs> There's uh, so many rappers out there. And I mean, taking into account what sort of names they have, I think that would not be at all corny. So, you know, just saying. Yeah, you know, when I was growing up in Arbeir, Rivertown, Iceland, Reykjavik, me and my friends were pretty deep into hip-hop culture, especially from the east coast of the United States. And before we were even rappers, we all had our Elias nicknames in English versions. And they were kind of hilarious. I'm not going into that either. No. So I guess this is what stuck for later, during your musical days as well. Yeah, it yeah. somehow developed and uh, yeah. Now, the name of the band was also pretty cool. What was it and who came up with it? I don't remember exactly who came up with it, but it developed from originally it was just 110 Rottweiler Hunter, Rottweiler Dogs. Uh, 110 is the postal code for my neighborhood. And Rottweiler, back in those days when the band was established, was banned in Iceland. So that was kind of hardcore, rugged and raw cool name back Hardcore in those days. Hardcore and rugged. So were you like into this aggressive type of hip-hop? Not necessarily, but yeah, I, I love it. I still listen to a lot of hip-hop. I've gotten softer in the last several years, definitely starting to listen to all the generous. In general, I'm a hip-hop head. A hip-hop head. So what are your favorite hip-hop artists? Of all time. It's hard to say anyone is, is one of them, uh, but I will definitely say Nas, Eminem, Buster Rhymes, Wu-Tang, of course. They were some kind of pioneers to us. And of course, you have to mention Jay-Z. I grew up with him. Roots. So you said something about Eminem. Yeah. And I'm not a big hip-hop listener. Mm -hmm. I know something, you know. I used to have MTV when I was a kid. We had plenty of, of course, Eminem um, mm -hmm. uh, videos, you know, running on MTV. So I want to say what came later after his first two albums, I was not so satisfied with. What do you think is the best Eminem album? What's your opinion on the that? The Slim Shady, Marsha Mathers uh, album, that was really that put him on the scene. And when I was listening to that album, I was listening it, you know, the day after it came out. And then years later, he came as big as he is today. And there are definitely fewer tracks of his albums that I really like a lot, but definitely Eminem is still of the best lyricists in the world, even though many people don't like the songs all in all, but lyrically, he's definitely one of the best. I gotta say, Slim Shady, mm. totally into that. I still play some songs from Slim Shady, you know, right now mm. even, once every couple of weeks or something. You yeah, know, I yeah. really like that one. Like you were mentioning, you were watching MTV. We also had MTV and a friend that had MTV, he was recording on videotape and then he came with a cassette, the VHS, and we were like five, six guys together, 12, 13 year old, watching MTV bass, like recorded some old school hip hop videos and stuff like that. My cousin, he actually also was a, a subscribed to the Source magazine back in those days. This was before the internet. So all the knowledge we got was... Yeah, through CDs and records we were able to buy in a small store in Reykjavik. And then this magazine, the Source magazine. And we got deliveries every month, my cousin. So we were looking at that. So we got like what was happening in the States. We got that pretty early. So we were very deep into this back in those days. I wonder how many hip-hop artists grew up on the like VHS MTV bootleg, <laughs> basically. <laughs> but it must have been quite a bit, you know, especially outside of US, right? 
Yeah, there was something definitely. The times had changed so much when we were starting to improvise with hip hop music. We didn't have the equipment we have today to record a quality hip hop album back in the year 98, 9, 2000 when we were doing this. You basically had to book a time in a professional studio. But now you can just buy a mic and a Mac and some other tools for a few kronas compared to what it used to be. So it's much more accessible today than it was then. It was, it was a struggle. Maybe about 10 years ago, I used to know a guy that used to record his own hip hop. And I got to tell you that he used to have in his own apartment, like a bunch of wooden frames, mm-hmm. with plenty of blankets mm-hmm. and a bunch of foam. And he would hide in there, sweat his ass off and record his songs like that because he couldn't afford to rent a studio. Yeah, that's just what we call ghetto style. That's the real thing, right? Yeah. That's the real thing. So uh, how long was the band around and how popular was it? We released two albums, and the first one was a platinum in Iceland, which is, I think it was 10,000 copies. And second was gold album, which is 5,500 copies, which is a lot compared to the total population here. So we also released DVD with the documentary and all of our videos and sold that. And we started kind of officially in 99 and Rotolis still exists, but only on rare occasions Rotolis plays. But I am uh, now with focus on other things, so I'm not part of their journey. You mean now as a nostalgia thing when somebody has birthday, maybe 40th birthday? Or yeah. They come up with a concert for them, right? A private thing or something. Yeah, for the right price, everything is possible. Would you do it again, if you were asked? Yeah, maybe, you know, but I'm not, I'm kind of done with this. (laughs) We did it all here. We played all the biggest venues and definitely I'm satisfied with my career there and and it's over. I'm moved on to other things. I see, I see. So did you open for any international acts back during the Rottweiler days? Yeah, we opened up for plenty. 50 Cent Unit, Snoop Dogg, Bloodhound Gang. Nina Sky, Loop Troop, Buster Rhymes, and some, some others. Can't remember quickly, but yeah, we played hundreds of gigs back in those days. These are some big names. So all of them actually came to Iceland to yeah. play here. To yeah. such a small country, but still, you know, it's somehow a small country getting such a recognition that big name musicians come here to play every now and then, right? Yeah, it's, it must be exciting for, uh, you know, Buster Rhymes to come to Iceland. He has never been here, you know. So they're not always maybe doing it for the money. They maybe have a little discounted price or something. But it's very different between acts, how expensive and how low they're willing to go, if you like. So, But also part of their performance here is coming to experience the Blue Lagoon and the beautiful nature we have. So that's also a bonus for them. Absolutely. Maybe having a layover in Iceland, not a direct like 11-hour flight mm-hmm. from US. Coming to Iceland just after... Four or five hours, you know, to enjoy our nature, enjoy the sightseeing, and then uh, maybe soak in hot water and then uh, give a little gig somewhere for this tiny population that we've got. And that's uh, that's what sometimes happens. I'm very happy for that too. Yeah. So living in this country where, you know, it's still like is recognizable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Okay. So uh, what was exactly your role in the band? Were you rapping uh, with the others or? No, I was backup vocalist. I was a DJ and I was also the manager for the band. So I had many different, what I say, things to do. I was sometimes making sure things were moving forward, you know, taking care of the gigs and interviews, radio, TV, whatever, staying in connection with the right people. So were you recognizable during the days of Rottweiler? Would people sometimes come up to you on the street or in bars wanting to buy drinks and uh, take selfies? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely. And it still happens. We were the biggest music group in Iceland for five, six years or something. And I said selfies, but back then, that was, you said 1998? Yeah, 99, it's established originally. There was no possibility of taking selfies back then, right? Not unless you had the right technique holding a big camera with one hand. and Yeah, then it was possible. But yeah, but definitely some pictures and autographs and... How do you think this being in this pretty big of a, of a band has shaped your future life? Made me a stronger personality, maybe. It's easy for me to stand in front of people and tell them 
all kinds of stuff in a personal, funny way often. And that's what helps me maybe sometimes with, with the guide job. And what did you do after you left the band, actually? When the band was still going, I opened up a hotel in Keflavik with my family. We still own that Hotel Kailer. You can look it up at airporthotel.is. You can find our hotel next to the Keflavik airport. I was running that until uh, five years ago, approximately, when I yeah went into the driver guide business. So it was a friend of mine who owned another company. He was always asking, you know, they needed driver guides and and in emergency he would call hi can you come tomorrow do the golden circle or can you do northern lights tonight i was like uh yeah checked out my parents you know hey can i go and get off day tomorrow no problem then i went to do this and that was just to begin with and still is just a lot of fun driving around the nature enjoying myself glad to hear that so let's segue to another task at hand our multi-day tours i know you're always happy to do those so what is so fun specifically about those. Going on a multi-day tour, it's a longer journey and I intend to make my group like a one big family. I want everybody to get to know each other. I always stand in front of the people, ask their names, try to learn their names and by staying for a few days or several days with them, it's more likely you will remember the names and get to know them better and ask everybody where they are from and you know, that's interesting, often asking the passengers about stuff and just enjoy those amazing places we visit. Just together with the rest of the people, right? Yeah. And so I want to say it's much different to one-day tours if you take them. As in multi-day tours, you actually grew together in a way, right? After mm. a couple of days, you know so many things about your clients, you know, and you share some really nice, beautiful moments where they get emotional in front of some amazing waterfalls and glaciers, etc., and so eventually you become like their best friend, right? Yes, After in a way. I usually represent me as their father during the trip. So I am taking care of you guys and I will be your father for the next six days. So please behave. <laughs> and everybody th- think that's kind of funny and, and cute in a way. So, uh, and really I am like a father figure for them because they are exploring grounds they've never seen before. I know where to go, I know everything, where the dangers are, what they should not do, and so on. So I'm kind of controlling them as my own kids, making sure they get safe on the bus again, and also between the places, I drive them safely. Yeah, exactly. Being fathers, we know all about safety, and so that's how we treat our kids, so that nothing sure. bad happens to them. Mm. As I usually say, that uh, Iceland, well, it's a nature wonderland, but it's not a nature Disneyland. Sometimes it's best to have like this father figure, a tour guide who's responsible for you, who can like literally tell you, hey, watch out, you know, this could be dangerous, don't go this way, you know, Mm -hmm, go that mm -hmm. way, etc. Exactly. Okay, well, can you please uh, take us through itineraries day by day of those multi-day tours? Yes, the six to eight day tour, it's the same tour. If you buy a six day tour, you just do six days and the eight day tour passengers are on board as well, but they will continue the last two days to finish eight day tour. The first day always unless we have some weather conditions, let's say we are going through a circle with no bad weather, then uh, you start by doing the Golden Circle part, going to Thingvellir, the National Park, which is on the World Heritage List of UNESCO and a lot of history made there, and explore the area, the waterfall of Öxar, Aofos, and then we move on towards Geysir, the geothermal area, and then Gullfoss, the one of the greatest waterfalls in Iceland. So that's the mandatory stops we do on the first day. And it depends how fast we can go. If everybody are on time getting back on the bus, that we can fit in some extra stops. And often those extra stops during the round circle are some of the more rememberable out of all these stops. For example, I take people on the Golden Circle, I take them to Laugavatn as an extra stop to the geothermal area there and talk about the history of making a rogue bread underground for 24 hours and uh, yeah you know just and the second day where does that take us so then you're going along the south coast uh, we're gonna see the Salilands Foss waterfall the waterfall you can walk behind and then we continue there are some extra stops on the way like Irar Foss which is a waterfall that's an extra stop if you have time then we go to the great Skoar Foss amazing waterfall you can walk up to the viewing platform there and also from 
from the ground, it's very impressive. And very famous as well. There's been some movies and... I think yeah, Game of Thrones yeah. uh, used to do some background somewhere. I've not seen Game of Thrones, by the way. So, But I know that it was used during filming of those episodes and many, many more. Probably you know, tens of thousands of people have Skorfos in the background on their wedding pictures. It's possible. From Skorfos, we continue to the glacier hike. Now, recently, we have been planning it like that. There are possibilities to do the glacier hike in Solemjökull or in Skaftafell at Fatljökull. And it has fitted better to do the glacier hike on Solheimajökull after Skoafoss. But then we just continue to the Black Sand Beach after the glacier hike and call it a day after that. Usually we stay in Hotel Katla in week. This may be prone to changes in the future years. Let's uh, see what happens. But for now it is Hotel Katla as we are recording this episode. Yes. So that's the second day. And then the third day follows. Where are we going? It's a quite long drive in the morning just two and a half hours maybe, to reach the Glacier Lagoon. And we explore the Glacier Lagoon and the famous Diamond Beach. And also, that's the location where everybody go into the ice cave with super jeeps. And that's one of the main extras we have during our round circle. Magnificent to see and explore and experience those ice caves. They are simply amazing. Every time I go into those ice caves, I'm amazed. So it's a total of three hours you go on the super jeep from the glacier lagoon to the ice cave and back. And then it's about one and a half an hour to see the glacier lagoon and the diamond beach approximately. Glacier lagoon, it is represented as the deepest lake in Iceland, 280 something meters. It is kind of an ocean glacier lagoon with a canal where the fresh melted glacier water mixes with the ocean. And the Diamond Beach is called so specifically for the reason of those icebergs that have been flushed out of the lagoon yeah. that washed up on the beach in form of those kind of diamond-like Yeah, it is simply amazing. Gemstone. It is simply amazing to be there with all the gems, especially when you have good weather and the sun is shining through the ice crystals. It's magical pictures you can really get there. And a lot of our passengers are eager to get there for some nice photos. Understandably so. And so then you spend a night over there in the east? Usually we drive one hour after the lagoon, Diamond Beach and the ice cave. We need to drive for about one hour to Höp in Hortenfjörður. Stay there overnight. Usually we stay at Hotel Höp. And if you ever go on a tour there, I recommend you have a lobster pizza. And they are specializing in lobster because that's where they catch it. The town of Höp is the lobster capital of Iceland. They uh, are very famous for the lobster cuisines. So the lobster soup in every restaurant practically. And uh, you say lobster pizza is the best. I haven't tried Yeah, I simply yet. love pizza and to have it, it's something else. It's a magical experience. And then also from Höpen, there is a great view, I think, over the mountains surrounding this area. And some of the most recognizable ones from the pictures, mm-hmm. for those of you that look at Instagram and Iceland every now and then, there is a place called Stocksness. That's right next to... The town hub, the mountains there are just super famous because yeah. they look incredible. They are sharp edges and uh, rise high above the surrounding area. The one you are talking about where Stocksness is, is called Vestrahort. And some people know it for the nickname, the Batman Mountain, because of the peaks they formate the Batman logo. I see. And I have to tell you that I have actually climbed the right horn of the Batman. Yeah. <laughs> uh, last year, okay, 17 pitches on the rock climb on the slab face there. So I got to the tip of the summit of the sharp horn yeah. sticking out there from the Westerhort. Exactly, yeah. And now we drive basically from Hub towards the Westerhort, the Batman Mountain. And now we have tunnels through the mountain to get on the other side. Back in the days you had to do a, another dangerous road, but luckily for us we have just a tunnel taking us on the other side. You start the fourth day out of Hub you recognize how the traffic drops down because most of tourists that take rental cars or even group tours, they only go along the south coast towards Hub and then back. So after Hub, the traffic drops down and it's so peaceful to drive there. You, you drive through the fjords of the east, amazing mountain views. And if you're lucky, you can see amazing sunrise beyond the horizon coming there. And just driving on the side of the mountain with a big drop into the ocean, you have a great view. It's magical. You stop maybe where you are driving on the side of the mountain in the Skreder, it's called. 
and you can stay there for 10, 15 minutes and no car passes by. This is ring road number one. That's special. Uh, yes, I would say so. And for those of you that are listening to us, ring road number one is the what we call Fiatway or the the national road. So this is a road that actually forms a ring around the island. So this yes, between 1,400 and 1,500 kilometers in total length to get from Reykjavik, you drive along the south and the whole circle. And back to Reykjavik. And back to Reykjavik, yeah. So this is the multi-day tour. That's where it takes us usually the six-day and eight-day tours, right? Yeah. And then if you continue with the fourth day, you are just driving those east fjords. Normally I do extra stop in Djupivogur for lunch and visit my good friend Jón Svarti or John the Black. Something about the stones, right? Yeah, because this is actually the oldest geological part of the country. The mountains there, between 15 and 20 million years old. So that's where it's more likely to find some very rare stones and rocks with some crystals or obsidian or very beautiful stones. And in the East, we have several stone collectors, and this is definitely the best one who welcomes you. And you can look it up online, JFS Handcrafts in Jubilur. Yeah, he's just an amazing guy. It's like a kind of a show. He welcomes everybody, stand in front of everyone and tell them about their stones and I've been a stone collector for 40 years, and this is obsidian, and this here is dragon glass. His voice changes, and it's kind of theatrical how he does it. Love it. And he also has some souvenirs to sell. He handcrafted, he made by himself. And plenty of crystals I hear in that area, right? Like quartz crystals? Yeah. But uh, yeah, of course, obsidian, the dragon mm. glass. And for you to say that without having watched the Game of Thrones, yeah. <laughs> making Game of Thrones reference at the same time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And after this, because we have horseback riding that same day, we kind of have to just drive through the fjords. It's basically a sightseeing. It's a beautiful thing to do. And we are trying not to stop much because we want to have good time when we get to Eilstad for the horseback ride and some other small sightseeing around the Eilstad, the capital of the east. So that's how this day is. I love this day because you go through this, all these turns in the road, along the mountains, into the fjords and out again and in and out. I love that. And then you arrive at Eilstad mm. and then you meet the horses. That's optional for our passengers, participants, to go on a horseback ride. And it's quite popular to do so. People love it and... Just being close to those amazing animals, the Icelandic horse. That we call just horse in Iceland. And people from outside call it Icelandic horse. But we call it horse because it's the only horse that lives in Iceland. We have no other breeds of a horse. And we have over 100,000 of those horses for 375,000 people population. Mm -hmm. It's like an immense number of horses, really. And you can say that we are a horse country. Yeah, definitely. We had to rely so much on horses through the centuries. To get between A and B, even when the when the first cars were arriving, you simply were not able to drive it very far often because of the grounds and the trails you had to take. It was much better to go on horse. And they have been serving us very good through the centuries. And because of the isolation, we only had this one breed here. The Icelandic horse almost has no dangerous illnesses or, or diseases within the breed here in Iceland. That's the reason for why we protect it so well. We care about it, and no other horse breeds are ever allowed to be imported into Iceland. Even if an Icelandic horse is exported, it can never return back. So, simply amazing animals, and the only horse breed in the world that has five gates. Wow. Walking or running, they have five different ones. They're pretty amazing. They're our original 4x4 cars. Definitely. And then uh, I think there's also something interesting in Eilstadir, apart from the horses, right? Yeah, you can, of course, see Hatlrumstadaskogur, and that's the biggest forest in Iceland. We have around 600 different species of trees in this forest from over 80 different countries that lies next to the big white river of Lagarfljot. And we believe there is a sea monster in there. Oh, wow. Yeah, we have been trying to catch some pictures lately, but it's hard to recognize the shape. But we will see, maybe in the future, some of our passengers will be able to catch some pictures and uh, get a great prize for it. Apart from the monster, in the river or a lake, there is something else also that I'm trying to fish out. You're talking about uh, Stuðlagil. Oh, Stuðlagil. Are you going there as well? Yes, next summer we will start to go to Stuðlagil. Okay, this is extremely famous on Instagram, right? Yep. Yeah. 
This is this uh, basalt columns canyon, yeah. very colorful, right? Yeah, this canyon uh, was only visible after they put up the dam there in the east. So it is kind of new spot to see and visit. But we always listen to our customers and future customers. They are eager to get there. They want to see this. So uh, we are including it in our tour next summer. Which is going to be the summer of 2022. Yes. And also, that's what I was fishing for, this great spa or like baths. Yes, of course. We have work baths. So work baths are uh, geothermal baths that are lying next to a lake called Urredavat. Really nice facilities, modern, clean, and so nice to go there and just relax. And I went there a few times with my passengers and they all loved it because we are usually arriving to the work paths in the evening. It's a possibility to catch some northern lights while you're lying there. Wow, if you do the tour in the winter, of course. Yeah, if you do it in the winter. And just the biggest selling point, I think, of work paths is actually, in fact, that the geothermal pools are lying inside the lake. So yeah. there's like yeah. a boardwalk that takes you somewhere off the shore of the lake and yeah. into the lake, and that's where the pools are kind of built into the boardwalk. And the pools kind of float in the lake, the hot pools, they float there and you can always jump out into the cold water and come back. I haven't been there yet, but uh, I would love to go there one day, you know. Yeah. I've seen the pictures and just looks so, so stunning. Yeah, it's nice. So what's the next stop after that? So now we spend the night over there in Eilstadir, but the next day we drive up north and we drive through Jökuldalur, the longest valley in Iceland, beautiful valley. We have some extra stops there, like the waterfall Ryukandi. In the winter, it, it's not possible to go and, and see it. It's simply too dark in the morning when you pass by this location. And also it's completely frozen usually this time of the year. But then you could just continue up to Mörudalur, the area. And we usually do the first stop just in Fjalla Cafe, which is a pit stop for toilets and some refreshments. And that's the highest farm in Iceland. The elevation is like close to 500 meters above sea level. No farm in Iceland is built higher than this. This area has some history from the settlement age, actually. After that, we continue up towards Dettifoss. Dettifoss is, of course, one of the most famous waterfalls in Iceland. It is actually the most powerful waterfall in Europe. And in the wintertime, sometimes the road there is close to Dettifoss. So either if you do that or what we do, we just continue then further up north and to Naumaskar, the geothermal area, and extremely heavy sulfur smell there, more than other geothermal areas I have been to in Iceland. We explore this area just on the other side of the mountain there is Dimmuborgir. And Dimmuborgir is a unique area in the world actually because of the lava rock formations that you can see there when the lava was flowing it get crushed it on the top first but there we had some wetlands it was flowing over so it got crushed it at the bottom and also the top but the heat was kind of boiling the wet gravel and ground underneath and eventually created steam explosion so we had steam explosions going through the lava bursting through up and creating these amazing forms and lava rock formations so it's very interesting to see this area and explore it and also as a testament to how special the area is there's another famous icelandic battle that is called Dimmuborgir, right? But this is not a hip-hop band. No, definitely not. It's a metal not. band. Heavy metal, yeah. yeah. After this, we just drive alongside Mivat and we talk a little bit about the bird life there. One of the richest bird life areas in the island is in Mivat. Well, many different species of birds and we can see some volcanic landscapes, some craters half in the lake and continue there. Going past, we are competing with daylight at this point so we need to be at the last destination of the day which is Godafoss and Godafoss is where the river Skjálvandi flows down to the ocean and this is the waterfall on the way and Skjálvandi is one of the longest and biggest rivers in Iceland and it is believed that around the year 999 Thorger Ljósvetninga Godi came to Iceland on behalf of the Norwegian king to throw the mythology statues into the waterfall and eventually from that time we were changing religion slowly took some centuries to change into christianity so he actually threw the statues of thor and odin so one of those your namesakes yeah threw it in the waterfall 
bastard <laughs> Þorgeir ljósvinningagóði no so uh, yeah this is the history of of the name goða goð means basically god and foss means waterfall so, so goða waterfall of gods yes direct translation would be something like that so a little footnote here because you said you're racing with the daylight and mm. the thing is uh, this is in case of winter uh, yes. multi-daters but of course during the summer which we also run and mm-hmm. the itinerary is a little bit maybe longer specifically mm-hmm. and because the daylight is what 24 hour daylight very often yeah uh, especially at the height of the summer exactly so then you don't have to race with the daylight yeah and after god of us we simply go into Akureyri. it's about 40 45 minutes drive we have actually tunnels leading to Akureyri through the last mountain, but if the weather is good, we rather choose to go around the mountain and arrive into Akureyri in a more scenic, beautiful way, because by not taking the tunnels, you will see more. I have great view over the fjord of Eyjafjörður. The Eyjafjörður is the fjord that Akureyri, the capital of the north, is located arrive there before dinner time and then you are in the capital of the north we have population there closely uh, I think around 20 something thousand 20,000 now yeah definitely a big town they are actually now Akureyri they are trying to claim the town as a city they will be represented as the second city in Iceland wow what a change (laughs) yes and we have a nice overnight stay there at the hotel downtown so everybody are just free to go and just to have whatever, the numerous of restaurants and, and stuff to see and explore in the town. Then the day after, we have the whale watching from Höganes. It takes about 40 minutes to drive from Akureyri to Höganes. And usually we start 11. So if you want to have some more drinks the evening before, you can sleep a little bit longer this day. But usually we start around 8 o'clock every day during the round circle. Enjoy the nightlife of Akureyri, the minuscule yeah. downtown of Akureyri with its, uh, what, two or three bars? I don't know. No, they have plenty of them. Yeah, if you want to have a party in Akureyri, I recommend you book your round trip tour starting on maybe Monday. Then you are there on Friday or Saturday or something. And then you can see the locals getting horribly, horribly drunk. Yeah, explore the nightlife there. After the whale watching... We'll see whales, yeah. Yeah, yeah. they they have a very good success rate, actually. There are always some whales swimming around the fjord. The depth of the fjord is ideal for the whales to seek some food. It takes normally around three hours, so you are back on board the bus close to two o'clock maybe. And then we have a long drive because this is the sixth day, so last day for six-day passengers. So we have a long way... Close to five-hour drive towards Reykjavik. So on the way to Reykjavik, there are no mandatory stops from there. But there is one secret stop I usually try to get to, and that's Kolugljúfur. It's a great canyon that nobody visits, but still it's beautiful with a nice viewing platform. In the wintertime, you are competing with the daylight, and if the weather is not crazy and conditions are good, at least I always try to go and do an extra stop there. After that, just drive to Reykjavik. We usually drop our eight-day passengers off in uh, Borgarnes or the surrounding area for the last two days of the tour. Which is the west coast of Iceland. So that's the west coast of Iceland. Snæfilsnes and uh, Borgafjörður, Reykholt and and that area, the Snorri Sturluson area where he grew up or was ruling back in the days. But Snorri Sturluson is, of course, one of our greatest writers and authors. And uh, And a famous politician. Exactly. So. Usually we do then the seventh day is we start with Snæfellsnes. Then we go and see the Arrow Mountain to begin with in the morning. The Arrowhead Mountain. Yeah. See, you would know if you saw Game of Thrones. I've seen a sneak snapshot from the TV episodes where you see the mountain actually. Beautiful mountain, beautifully located and with right weather conditions and the light. It's amazing to stand underneath there and also explore the waterfall. That's also part of this stop to see this mountain. It's a beautiful waterfall called Kirkefels Foss. And from there, you drive further west along the north side and go through Olafsvik, do a pit stop there for toilet break, and then we continue and do the next stop when you are actually in the National Park of Snæfellsnes or Snæfellsjökull, the glacier, and you stop by the Saxhotel, the crater that was created 5,000 years ago. 
and you can hike up there. There are some stairs that has been made on the side of the crater and you can go there up and explore the area and have a great view over the volcanic landscapes around there. So after this, you're simply now doing like a half circle around the Snæfellsjökull, the glacier. And next up will be Djúpalón Sandur, the rocky, sandy beach that is beautiful to see, where you can also see some shipwreck from an old British fishing trawler that stranded there, I don't know, 60, 70 years ago. This is actually my favorite beach in Iceland. Yeah, it's amazing. I have to give it hands up, one of the most beautiful places. When you're saying that, it sounds like, oh, there is another beach to say, you know, there's another waterfall. But each of us has our favorites. And I got to say, every time I get there, just the sheer spectacle of the rocks that fall into the ocean, the lava Mm -hmm. fields that kind of abruptly end in the ocean, you know, and this beautiful, beautiful beach. It's always, I gasp in awe every time I'm there. Definitely. And also the history of this area, because back in the days, this was uh, where the people in the area went out with their fishing boats. When it was the busiest, they had up to 60 boats taking off out to the ocean from this beach. So yeah, definitely beautiful and interesting in the same way. And you are in the national park there. And then after the stop in Djúpalón Sandur, you go and pass the Lónstrangar, the pillars standing up from the ocean there are quite impressive to see. From there, you continue towards Arnarstapi an old fishing village and has some history of fisheries for centuries and explore the beautiful stone bridge located there and the Bárður Snæfellsás monument or a statue. A statue of the kind of spirit of the mountain that yeah. is on top of the glacier of Snæfellsjökull. That's yeah. kind of a patron of a, like the most prominent mountain in the area, really, at the tip of Snæfellsnes. So it's interesting to go there. There also we have some facilities, some restaurants and toilets. After, this is a probably 45 minutes break at least there. And then a uh, little walk along the coastline. Also, always we have some rich bird life all around the Snæfellsnes Peninsula. And actually, we have one of the biggest breeding grounds for the Arctic tern in Europe or in the world are in Snæfellsnes. And the Arctic tern being the longest traveling bird in the world, yeah. like yeah. in general. I think they come from Antarctica and South Africa yeah. to Iceland in the summertime to breed. So can you imagine that like the whole span of the Atlantic from south to north? It's insane. They cover that distance. Same area again and again. Year after year, they travel this way and it's simply amazing. I think it was like 12,000 or even more kilometers they're traveling every year back and forth. It's crazy. It is. So we continue there from Arnarstapi. Now we're at the south coast of the peninsula and we do the next stop at the Black Church in Búðir. Búða Kirkja, the church, is iconic landmark. Strange for many people to see this small wooden black church in middle of nowhere, just the nature around it really you see when you're standing there. And it's beautifully hand-painted inside as well. It's not open, but we can get a sneak peek through the windows. Yeah. Do you know why it's black? I do not. Back in the days when it was built originally, the only paint they had to protect the wood was the black tar paint. But now today, of course, we have others, but we've kept the original and we just keep it black and it makes it beautiful. Interesting information. I'm going to steal it for myself for my Snipersness tour. Definitely. From uh, Buda Kirkja, the church is only one other mandatory stop left and that's Etritunka, the shoreline there, where it is very likely one of the best areas in Iceland to see seals, both the grey seal and the harbor seal in its natural environment. Almost every time, I think. Like 90% yeah. of the times I've seen seals. Yeah. Especially when you have nice weather and, and maybe sunset, it's amazing to be there and see some seals wandering around in the ocean. Um, but after this, it's simply heading back to the hotel and finishing the Snæfellsnes circle on that day. This is day seven. And going to hotel. And the day after, we go into Borgafjörður and Reykholt area. We see the Deltartunguquer, which is the most powerful geothermal hot spring in Europe, providing this area with hot water. 
the communities of Borganes and uh, Akranes are relying on this geothermal area. So you can go there close up to this hot spring and then you continue into Reykholt, the, the former home of Snorri Sturluson. You can explore his pond or pool he used to have. He used to have arthritis, I think, according to history. So he used to spend a lot of time in this geothermal pool, actually, back in the Middle Ages. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, this was a luxury. It is a luxury today to have your own private hot tub. And this was his own private hot tub. Plenty of hot water, so no problems. We usually tell people a little bit about the history of the place. Now today we have relatively new church located there with some exhibition about Snorri Sturluson and the history of the area. It's different. Sometimes it has been open, sometimes it's not. But from Reykholt we move on towards Hraunfossar, the waterfalls, amazing waterfalls actually. That It's like a curtain, very wide, right? Yeah, it's quite wide and it's because... You don't see the river coming from a long distance. And in this waterfall, it's simply just flowing from underneath the lava. So it's like spreading out, just quite amazing to see. And then also what we have left there is the Vidgelmir, the cave. It is quite uh, impressive as well to go and, and see this, especially if you're interested in geology to see from inside a lava tube, how the rock formation is there, the color difference, and it is quite amazing, I, w- I would say. I have been to this one. It's massive. It's really big. It's very, very impressive. Yeah. And uh, it's just a nice caving tour. So mm-hmm. they give you a helmet, lights, headlamps, and they lead you into the cave to explore all the formations inside the cave, all the colors. It's actually lava caves are very colorful. With mm-hmm. all the minerals and the colors of the basalt and silica that was contained in the lava. It's quite a spectacle down there. So it's another sightseeing gem on that day. Definitely. And just to announce that we self, the driver guides, we are not guiding this tool. We have another company and guides that are experts in this cave that take over the group and lead them into the cave. And then after the cave, that's uh, what's left is the right back to Reykjavik, right? That's just right back to the Reykjavik, yeah drop off and the final goodbyes usually this is one of the shortest days of the tour so you should be arriving not later than five o'clock so you have plenty of time to check into your hotel and have a nice dinner in Reykjavik yeah and all the happy memories from the ring road definitely and I one trick I always try to teach new driver guides is when you do those multi-day tours is to establish a whatsapp group so everybody will join this group chat so every time we have some information to announce to the group maybe after they've checked into the hotel or something like that i can just send it on the whatsapp group and everybody are notified right away i don't have to have the rooming list and calling each room just like this is simple this is technology communication is key and also it's fun because people sometimes start to share their pictures from certain places group pictures and stuff like that so everybody can follow up on what's happening of course so there are Mentioned optional activities to do on those uh, tours, like horseback riding and nature baths, you know, and uh, the ice caves. And those have to be booked during the booking process, or they can be added later if a client changes their mind. We recommend you do it through the booking process. That way you will make sure you will uh, have place on the tour. For example, the ice cave expedition. In general, yeah, you are able to book the extras just the day before or even sometimes just the same day in the morning. If you decide, no, I want to go horseback right now because it's a great weather, then we just do that. But if you're doing it late, there is always a chance maybe all the seats are fully booked by then. So I recommend just making the decision as soon as you make the booking originally. Of course, some of the activities are not available in some seasons, right? As for example, ice caves, they're only available for the winter Multi-day tours. Yes, the ice cave in Bredemarkjökull, but we have also the Katla ice cave. We are operating also uh, tours there. That's possible in the summer. That's the only one that is actually open all year round. Yeah, others in like Bredemarkjökull, they are flooded. It, it depends on the landscape around how the glacier is able to drain the area in front of the, the glacier. If anyone wants to listen up uh, to some previous episodes, we have a whole episode on ice caves as well as a whole separate episode on specifically Katla ice cave. So these are some of the previous ones. If you look them up on the list of the episodes on Spotify or any other of your listening platforms, you can find them. So what sort of accommodation people can expect in terms of hotels and guest houses during the multi-day tour? Yeah, we are using three-star hotels. In general, we try to just keep the same hotels, but... 
some seasons they are more busy for some hotels so we are not able to secure rooms then we have to move to another accommodation but usually our standard or always is even sometimes four star hotels depending what's available but always included in all of our tours the hotel booking is breakfast we would never have a group staying at a hotel where there's no breakfast included but lunch and dinner that's within the client's own accord that's right we were discussing multi-day tour in both winter and summer, so but there are slight differences between seasons. So what do you say, apart from the activities that are available, what are the differences in between seasons? What do you say? In the winter time, short amount of daylight, so uh, the day is more compact. Often, uh, especially when you have some s- slippery conditions where you have to drive slower and some blizzard maybe between some places, you simply have to drive very slow, taking part of your time so then on those days we just ask people hey guys now we're going in into this area here and because of the weather we'll drive slower but i really want everybody to enjoy the day all the destinations as much as possible so i recommend everybody have packed lunch for today so then i go into a store so everybody can buy their food for the day so we don't have to do an extra stop for one hour just for lunch spending the time inside a concrete box on a stool and a chair and eating there for one hour instead of just doing it on the bus and saving some time. So that's always what I try to recommend in some days of the round circle. That's very ideal. So that's one thing. That's just the daylight. We are always competing with that. So starting the day, you'd start to drive 8 o'clock and you don't have full daylight, maybe until 10 10 o'clock or something like that and the daylight has faded away four or five o'clock so those are the hours you are exploring and sightseeing then of course there are some benefits of being here in the winter then you have possibility of seeing the northern lights in the evening and we always update our groups every day about the possibilities and then also we have the whatsapp group that comes good in hand to have to just like post a picture or something hey guys we have northern lights meet outside the lobby in 10 minutes and then everybody starts to show up and then we go out and explore the northern lights so that's definitely different from the summer tours where you cannot see the northern lights but during the summer you of course have daylight 24 7 so you can be doing much more extra stuff and spend more times at some location even though we give good amount of time on those destinations definitely the summertime gives you more opportunity to see other grounds that are not possible during the winter and same for the winter as in ice caves or normal lights so i think there's advantages to both seasons in fact. definitely definitely and tell me how do we keep people safe on our multi-day tours uh, simply by maintaining the vehicles and especially the tires we need good studded tires you know with spikes can have so extreme winds and when you have crosswinds hitting the car and icing conditions you want to have good tires that's very important safety is number one two and three for us and we are always like we mentioned earlier we are always looking at the weather forecast several days ahead of us to plan everything and if we have to change departure or the route planning for example three day tour we usually start on golden circle then two days on the south coast sometimes we turn it around start with two days on the south coast and end on the golden circle because the golden circle is in a totally different weather area compared to the south coast you're more inland there but the south coast you're closer to the ocean and then we have some strong wind and wind gusts along the mountains of the coastline of iceland so safety is number one two and three and just following up on the weather forecast and conditions on the road if it's icy extremely icy or snowy or or whatever it is absolutely some people come to iceland underprepared so tell me can we provide some extra clothing for those that do that you can rent hiking boots and also we have the rainproof jacket and trousers you can also rent. And it's best to rent it beforehand as in included into your booking, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. And it's not going to be available once you set off. In general, no, but we are trying to be flexible here at Troll Expedition, so we will see about that. Okay, so there are possibilities, even if you forget, and maybe don't book yourself a nice coat and then get soaked and then decide to do it, then there are possibilities. Yeah, you know, we always try to accommodate our passengers as good as, as we can, but of course I recommend you book it then before when you make the original booking. Excellent. So if you were to book a multi-day tour with us, why would you do that instead of going by yourself in a rental car? What's your thoughts? 
simply because if you are a foreigner that has never visited the country before, you don't know how the roads are lying. Yeah, you can see it on Google Maps and all that, but just to be driving then in reality, you are not driving maybe as fast as we can. We can explore more in a way with a guy that knows where he's going. He knows how much time you really need you know, sometimes in some places like Selandsfors, you don't need more than half an hour. Some people intend to stay there 45, 60 minutes. And that's, then you're taking down time that you can maybe do an extra stop somewhere else and explore more. Definitely, that's one of the benefits of going on a group tour. You have a guide that knows everything where he's going. You don't have to think about that. You don't have to do this all stressful planning weeks before, you know, you're planning also hotels and Okay, should I be in this hotel or this hotel? How long is the distance between? So you don't have to worry about that. It's all taken care of buying a, a group tour with us. Then just the knowledge we can spread in the bus and the conversation to learn more about the nature and also just the culture here, the people, how the society is functioning, the infrastructure of our society in many different ways, both like from the road infrastructure, healthcare, education, politics, how everything is established here, we can have talks about that. So you're learning a lot as well. And maybe the last but the most important, if you're coming here in the winter, you have experienced driver in those conditions and we know where the most dangerous places on the ring road are, depending on winds and all, all that. So we are better fitted to make decision if we should cancel or not. But tourists, they not maybe think too much about that. They just continue driving and end up stuck in the snow somewhere. I've seen so many cars stuck in snow. Yes. I've been uh, on the bus for like many years now. And I got to say, sometimes it's it's just so surprising to see, you know, somebody driving, yeah. let's say in the blizzard. And um, I don't see anything wrong with the conditions, as in like I'm very much used to driving in uh, that sort of conditions. And I know that I'm going to get my people safe uh, back from point A to point Z. Mm. Suddenly a car in front of me just turns left and bam, into a ditch, you know, without yeah. any warning. And I'm like, what happened there? I think they just, they didn't even slid. I think they just lost it at some point. Mm -hmm. It can be very, I think, stressful to drive mm -hmm. uh, in the wintertime in Iceland especially. And so uh, this is very, very much recommended to have a, an experienced driver on your side that's going to literally make it very, very safe yeah. and is going to keep you safe, you know, throughout uh, the journey. Yeah, and also maybe the last point of why you should buy a tour with us. You can have your beers for lunch break and <laughs> somebody else is taking care of the driving. Yeah. Or a glass of wine. That's great on vacation, right? Yes. Exactly. You should enjoy. Just like imagine being on this bus, just having like beer on the side and just like going and going through the nature and just don't have to care about anything than just yourself and having good vibes on the bus. Excellent. And we also provide with some Icelandic music. Exactly. So thank you very much, Thorstein, for this interview and for your comprehensive explanations. For those of our listeners that want to book a multi-day tour with us, uh, head over to troll.is. That is T-R-O-L-L dot I-S. Uh, I'll be leaving a link to our episode, in uh, to our website in the podcast description. You'll be hearing from us shortly in the next episode. In the meantime, enjoy your cozy time at home or on vacation on board of one of our buses. Thank you again, Thorstein, for joining us and bye-bye.